Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Hey, we're in a series called Finishing Strong. How many of you just love to lose? Good, thank you. I don't like to lose either. If I got into something competitive, I want to win it. I might not win it, but I want to win it. I, I will try to win it. Would that be fair? If you came in 24th, would you say, oh, praise God, I got 24th. No, not if you trained and you got in it to win. A lot of people have a bad Christian view about that willingness to want to win in life. A righteous ambition. The only thing negative in Scripture is selfish ambition. But you're not going to achieve anything without some ambition to separate yourself. I looked at my family I came from, and I thought, I can do better than that. And some of you did too. Well, some of you are not sure, so okay. But I want a, I want a good life. I'd like to have a good marriage. I want to raise good kids. I'm sure I fail many times, but the point is I want to win. There's a competitive edge inside of me. And anybody who's ever changed the world in any area didn't always succeed at everything, but they tried. They were very ambitious to try. And those that changed the world had to overcome rejection, negativity, uh, passivity, criticism, and occasional setbacks. I hope that spirit is in you. And I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. And this is our second in our series. Remember that in a race, everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize. How many of you want to say, I want it? I want, it. I want that prize. I'm not in the brace to look at pretty, pretty Nike outfits and Adidas outfits. I want to win the sucker. Okay. You also, he's talking to believers now. You also must run life in such a way as you will win. Do you see that ambition and competitive spirit there? God says, they do it. I know they do it carnally to run, but you're in a race too for life when you entered the kingdom of God, and I want you to run it to win it. I want you to finish strong. So it's not wrong to have that ambition in you, and church is pretty much gathered around average. Well, I'm not real bad. Hadn't won anything, but I'm better than most, that's wrong. That is wrong in business. That's wrong in life. That's wrong in sports. I bet nobody in the NBA just says, well, I'm just glad to be, have a uniform, be on the team. <laughs> no, no, they're very ambitious. They look for any break. I hope the guy gets a sprained ankle so I can get in. I want to play. I want to win. That drive is what sets you apart from people. So he says, <clears throat> run in a way that you will win. Now, all natural athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. Okay. But we believers do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body just like an athlete does, training it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So we established last week that it's possible to run this race in life and not finish the race well. 
we said, it doesn't matter how you start. Maybe you fell down, maybe you fumbled, whatever. It matters how you finish. And we said, we've got to prepare ourselves to finish the race now. Not two weeks before you die. That's a bit late. Prepare now. I remember we had somebody here, Sandy will know, and Cindy, whose husband uh, was a a pioneer in aerobic exercise, and a lot of people were in it. And uh, she... I, I looked at the book, and it had, it had references where people, you know, notable people sign and make a statement about the book, write the forward, a whole lot of people. And I said to her, I said, why don't you get some people in this book that hadn't had a heart attack to sign this book, to promote it? These people are getting interested in disciplining themselves after the stroke. How about people who plan not to have a stroke and discipline their body before. I'm not going to get 100 pounds overweight. I'm not going to let my type 1 or 2 diabetes get out of control. I'm going to discipline myself so that doesn't have to happen to me. (coughs) So it is good you could kind of recover, but it'd be a whole lot better if you didn't have to go through the recovery and you disciplined yourself in advance so you could finish strong. Really, this isn't that hard. Then we also said our race is unique because of three things. First, it's a race that lasts the length of your life. Second, we don't know when this life will end. And third, we win by keeping our eyes on Jesus because we can't see the finish line. Hebrews 12, verse 2, we talked about it, says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith or of our race. So it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. And a lot of believers start well, but they don't finish well. The dropout rate is horrible. We saw in Numbers 13, Joshua and Caleb were two out of 12 leaders in Israel that went into the promised land. 12 started good, but only two finished. So it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21 says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling small amounts, so now I will give you more responsibilities. So God is more interested in what I am becoming than in what I'm doing. Now, he, of course, is very interested in what you and I are doing, but he's a lot more interested in what you're becoming by what you're doing. And if you're getting worse because of what you're doing, stop it right? See, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. Faithfulness is not something you do. Faithfulness is something you are or aren't. See, God is more interested in what you're becoming than what you're doing. And by the way, faithfulness, when he described it, two of the three servants, he said, I had, you gave me five talents. I've got 10. You gave me, uh, uh, what, two, and I've got four, and the guy with one said, I didn't lose it, but I didn't multiply it. So faithfulness is not maintaining. Faithfulness is increasing. Now, don't compare yourself to anybody else, but we all arrived on earth with our bag packed, and we didn't pack it. God put some gifts in all of us. Some got five, some two, some one. Doesn't matter. God's going to, as a fair and righteous judge, he's going to judge you based on what he gave you. And the whole key is, did I multiply what he put in my hand? That's the key. 
And he says, well done, faithful servant. So faithfulness is not maintain. Well, I didn't lose anything. Yeah, but you didn't do anything. You didn't multiply anything. You didn't produce anything. You didn't reach the potential of your life. You didn't make that wonderful life I gave you and opportunities count. That's not faithful, see? So God rewards what you become more than he rewards what you do. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 through 23, says, on judgment day, this is Jesus talking, on judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we perform many miracles in your name. And Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. See, because what you are is not what you profess to be. See, God is more interested in what you and I are becoming than what we're doing. But most Christians feel God's more interested in what I'm doing than in what they are becoming or what they are. That's why we see so many shipwrecked people all over the shore of Christian life because all they think about or care about, they believe, is what they do. But God is more interested in what you are becoming than what you are doing. I mean, if I give myself to ministry and I'm gone 24-7 or you're in uh, construction or you're in business and, and you're running a corporation or you're, and you're losing your marriage and you're losing your children and you're losing your health, but you're making a lot of money and, and you tithe, God's not happy. Why? Because you, what you're doing is destroying your family, your health, your life, your children. How could he be happy about that? I remember one, heard one preacher say he never took a vacation. I said, I will. He said, I never wear shorts. <laughs> Cutting the grass. This is a church I was in. So if you wonder why I'm like I am, you, now you know why I thought I am in an insane asylum. With these. I said, where did they come up with these doctrines? I have no clue. I think church ought to, ought to be fun, ought to be a little bit in your face occasionally, and, and ought to be somewhat challenging to say, hey, you can do this. You can become better than you are. We ought to be packed. and nobody better than us. We can be just as good as anybody in town. I don't know what you want when you go to church, but it ought to be something worth getting up for, driving here, and spending your time and money and makeup to get here. I want it to be worth your while, okay? So help me out. Bring somebody. They won't be disappointed. Don't bring anybody religious. Just, just bring people. Just people. So what you're doing and what you become will determine how you finish the race. So how do we go the distance and finish strong? Scripture says, looking unto Jesus. Now let me give you an example. That sounds a little religious. Have you ever watched the Summer Olympics and you've watched boat races? And they've got three or four muscular guys in this long, skinny boat with their oars, and girls do it too, and they're all lean and they're all muscular. However, their backs are to the finish line. So they're in there, one behind me, one behind him, and we're doing this, right? Now we're headed to the finish line, which we can't see. We can't see maybe who's a little bit ahead of us or who's way out in front of us. We can't see it. We're, ro we're rowing. So how can they possibly finish well? How can they pace themselves, and how do they know when to sprint and run an effective race, especially if they can't see the finish line? Look at the picture on the screen. Well, there's a little guy at the rear of the boat called the coxswain. He faces the crew, 
and he faces the finish line. He's the only one in the boat who knows where the finish line is and can see it. The rowers watch him, listen to him, obey his commands, and count on him to coach them to the finish. That coxswain paces them. He encourages them. So they trust him implicitly to get them across the finish line in the strongest way possible. And that's the Christian life, folks. How do we go the distance and finish well, especially where I don't know where the finish line to my life will be and neither do you, but I keep my eyes on Jesus. I let him rebuke me. I let him speak to me. I let him challenge me. When I'm in church and I hear his word, I let him encourage me. And I'll tell you something. Every time I preach something, something will come up during the week. And I'll bet if you think about it, it's true for you, where something said or preached will resonate with you. I heard that this week. This applies to that. That'll help you. The people who come in frequently don't get that. Since 1982, Dr. Robert Clinton has studied over 1,000 leaders mentioned in the Bible. He's developed case studies on 900 of them. Clinton then reduced the 900 to a group of 100 he characterized as prominent. But he soon realized that out of the 100 leaders that Scripture gave enough information on, only 49 uh, could he use to figure out how they finished. There just wasn't enough information on 1,000. It was cut down to about 49. And he was able to determine how they each finished. He determined that there are four different kinds of finishes based on his study. First, those who are cut off early. It means they were taken out, assassination, killed in battle, overthrown, prophetically denounced because of their sin. Samson, Absalom, Ahab, John the Baptist, some men were cut off early in life, and some of those were good men, but their life wasn't long. Most, however, cut off early. It's probably a tragic story when you find out why and how it happened. Now, that explains their finish. Secondly, there are those who finished poorly. It means they were going downhill in the latter part of their lives. Gideon, Noah, King Saul, Solomon, they finished, but poorly. In other words, these guys were barely able to cross the finish line or else somebody had to carry them or drag them. Third, there were those he studied who finished so-so. How was your date? So-so. That's like kissing your sister. How did that deal go? Yeah, so-so. You get it? I don't think anybody's running towards so-so. It means they did not do what they could have done or should have done. They did not complete what God had for them to do. David, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah were all pretty good guys, but they didn't go out strong, just so-so. And fourth, those who finished well. They were walking with God personally at the end of their lives. They were strong in their faith and close to the Lord. Abraham, Job, Joseph, Joshua, Caleb, Samuel, Jeremiah, Daniel, John, Paul, and Peter. And that's where all of us ought to want to be. I want to finish strong. Now, here's the big time question. All of these leaders were gifted and all had impressive strengths. So why didn't they all go the distance and finish strong? They didn't finish well because they didn't survive the ambushes. 
the traps, the IEDs. And the bottom line in determining how a man or a woman is going to finish centers around you being able to get through and escape those traps. Finishing well means you survive those landmines, those traps, and, and getting through those ambushes separates the men from the boys. Every golfer knows he doesn't want to get in a sand trap, and that's why it's called a trap. They're all out there to mess up your score and, and to maybe disqualify you from the cut. How many of you guys golf, right? I mean, you don't go out there and see how many sand traps I can get in. No. And then some guys get in it, but they get out of them, all right? The people who survive these traps are generally people who anticipated the traps. I got to know there's stuff waiting for me every week out there to take me off course. Every week, distractions. And men, our biggest enemy, because we're men, is a distraction. I mean, anything that glitters or blinks or is alluring, men, men look. They, they, we're distracted easily. Men are more than women. Now, even bass boats have glitter on them. So, oh, I got to have that. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's true about us. And there are three major traps to avoid. The first one's the trap of immorality. The second is the trap of money. And the third is the trap of neglected family. Now, think about some of the people in the Bible who should have finished well but didn't. Solomon, the wisest man in the earth. God gave more wisdom to him than anybody else. He got trapped by women. This dude had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Holy Moses. No wonder he didn't finish strong. He was exhausted. And he was, he, he was ambushed by money. Scripture says his wealth could not be counted. And he was ambushed by family. His many wives turned his heart away from the Lord. His son, Rehoboam, was such a lousy person that within days of taking the throne of his father, Solomon, who died, the people revolted, the nation split. And I kind of get the feeling Solomon didn't spend much time with his son, Rehoboam. Women and money and family, total failure on that. A lot of money isn't bad, but it gives you options. A poor man hadn't got any options, right? No, rich man can say, you know what, honey, let's go to Italy. Or we can buy a house down at the ocean, or we can buy a house at the lake, or we can buy a house in, in uh, Colorado, go up there in the snow. Whew, I don't want to go in the snow, you know. <laughs> or we can take a plane, charter a jet, and go somewhere. It gives you options. Those aren't bad unless they, dr they draw you away from your race, from your main purpose in the Christian life, regardless of your occupation. See, it's subtle. See, David was trapped by women. Have you ever noticed all these guys are womanizers, all these great patriarchs? I don't know if anybody ever brought that up, but I am. It's like David's got the same problem, these women, and neglected family. Bathsheba was able to seduce him, and Absalom, his son, raped his own sister and tried to steal the throne from his own father, David. Not exactly a good guy. I want to uh, hold up David as an example, as a warrior and, and a worshiper, but I sure wouldn't hold him up on family, would you? He was lousy father. He, these guys, so was Solomon. 
See, the enemy has been using these three traps to keep God's people from going the distance and finishing strong for thousands of years. So why should he change? Still works great. Now, you might have been ambushed. You might have fallen into a trap, but you can escape that trap. That's good news. It's not too late. Now, look at the three traps. First, the ambush of immorality. The big three of insurance companies are life, disability, and health. So when it comes to applying for a policy, the central issue with an insurance company is risk. Risk is also the central issue in car insurance. Just add a teenager to your policy and see. Risk goes up. Are you by $250,000 a 700-horsepower sports car, insurance rates are going to go up because risk goes up. See, teenagers are at greater risk to have an accident. Smokers are at greater risk for a heart attack. People overweight are at greater risk than those who keep their weight in check. That's why insurance companies put you through a rigorous physical exam to see if you're a good risk or a bad risk. See, if you can't handle money, you're a bad risk. I'm probably not going to loan you any. Uh, If you're not faithful with a little, God says you won't be faithful with much. A good question to all of us to ask ourselves on on multiple occasions, am I a good risk for God? He may have more planned for me, but I'm a bad risk. That's why he said, if you can't handle the little, I'm not about to put more on you. It'll be a bigger problem. It'll be a bigger, he may be doing you a favor. Because your character's messed up and your discipline's messed up and it would only harm you, it wouldn't help you. Why? I'm a bad risk. So risk is the central issue in determining whether you will survive the ambush of immorality. Dr. Howard Hendricks interviewed 246 men who were in full-time ministry who all experienced a moral failure within a two-year period of time. His interviews determined they had four things in common, all of them. First, none of them were personally accountable to anybody, not to a group, not to a best friend, nobody. In each of them, they had ceased their daily prayer and reading of scripture or study. Third, 80% of them were counseling the person they had the affair with or were spending major portions of their schedules with women other than their wives. And fourth, each of them, without exception, was totally convinced that moral failure could never happen to them. So let's get some answers to these problems. First, they weren't accountable to anybody. Are you? Every one of us needs at least one friend who can get in your face, somebody you can't con, somebody you don't pay, somebody who doesn't owe you anything, and somebody who loves you enough to jerk the slack out of your rope. Do you have anybody like that? I was on the beach in another nation uh, maybe seven years ago talking to a very famous leader uh, globally, and as we're walking out, we each had a coffee to go, and we're just kind of twilight out reminiscing, and I said to him, with all this success and with all this popularity and with everybody clamoring to be there, have you got anybody who doesn't blow sunshine in your face? I actually said something else, but I can't say that here. But I was blunt, 
And I said, you understand it's going to be hard for a very successful person for anybody to give them bad news or to tell them what they need to hear. And, they, and, and that isn't going to help you at all. But somebody you pay is not likely to tell you what you need to hear. You, you need a friend. You need a small group to get in your face. Because if you don't find the answer to these four traps or ambushes, it's not a question if I will fall. It's only a question of when I will fall. Amen? So you need somebody to be able to get in your face and say this is wrong or don't do that. And here's why. And that becomes increasingly difficult the more successful you become. Do you think the Hollywood stars, do you think the celebrity uh, sports people, do you think the CEOs of billionaires are open to very much uh, criticism uh, from a friend? No, they don't want to hear it. And it's hard to talk to somebody like that because you're more afraid of being rejected by them than telling them what they need to hear. So the real burden's on me to be able with a trusted friend to hear it. Not an enemy, but to a friend. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So first, you have to prove friendship. Then, gently give them the truth. And then it's, you're, off, you're off the base now. It's up to them how they handle it. Can you do that? Do you have somebody to do it? You won't get in a home group. You won't listen to anybody. You won't connect to a ministry. You don't come to church regularly. Give me a break. You're, you're your own boss. Isn't there a scripture that says, he that isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wisdom. Hello, you are an explosion waiting to happen, and it won't be a shock. Second, each one of these leaders ceased any personal study of Scripture or prayer time. Proverbs chapter 4, book of wisdom, verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues, the boundaries, the borders of life. See, out of the heart, he says, the word you put in you comes out of you as a boundary. So the word of God builds walls around you, and when you get tempted, you bump into that wall. And when the word says, you're not going to go over there, you generally will back up. See, the problem with memorizing a lot of Scripture or being familiar with it is it's always barking at you. Even if you want to do something bad, it's barking at you. What did David say? Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if you don't have God's word in you, there are going to be no boundaries with which God can protect you. Without God's word, there will be no boundaries around you when temptation comes. Society's not going to tell you it's wrong, baby. Hollywood ain't going to tell you it's wrong. All they're going to tell you is wear a condom. All they're going to say is everybody does it. Come on. Your boundaries come out of your heart. And that boundary comes from the word of God you put in your heart. So even if it's a little bit, see, download the Bible app. It's free. And there are devotions in there. I picked up our devotion book out here on the information table and I just took one with this little stopwatch and a cup of coffee. It took a minute and 30 seconds to read the verse for the day, the scripture, and then a paragraph applying it. Now that went in me. 
That's kind of like a deodorant in the morning. It, it went in. It won't last all week, but it, it went in for the day. Well, that's a little bit better than nothing. And a minute, you, I don't care how busy you are, how much is on your plate. You got a minute and 30 seconds. You can listen to a podcast while you're driving or a CD in your car or turn on some worship music. You can come to Sandy Ross's chosen Bible study. You can get in a connect group. See, you can come to church. That'd be a switch for people. If I hear any more about, well, COVID, COVID, nothing. COVID didn't cause it. COVID just exposed the lack of commitment in people. And then after two years, they just stay with it and stay pretty much home. Well, I watch online, liar. Maybe somebody does, but most people don't, or they cut it on and then they walk away because they got a phone call or one of the kids, something, they got to get their clothes out of the dryer because it went off. Something's going on. Are you kidding me? Come on, let's don't kid each other. Let's be real. You need to get your bottom once a week. Can you imagine uh, how you're going to stay healthy? And, and, and then secondly, just a little tweaks of the word going in you from a small group, reading a scripture. So that's, that's, that's being, I'm washed with the water of his word regularly, continually. And I'm talking to Jesus every morning I get up, whether I feel good, I don't feel good. Thank you, Lord, for another day to live on planet earth. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for this day. It's the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice in it. I do that every single day. How long does that take? Long as it takes to walk Lily outside. You can do this. You can do this. You can do it in your car on the way to work. And you talk to him. I say, so and so, one of my kids got an exam today. Lord, I pray you'll give them wisdom, favor, peace, help them not be frightened. Just small things. Praying for people that you know. Right? It's not hard. But you, you got to get something in you. Are you just going to be a tumbleweed drifting out there? So get into church. Get that word in you that builds boundaries in your life. You know, I travel about a couple of weeks. I'll take the tractor and run around my fence parameter out in my yard in the rough areas. And I do that for one good reason. I look for holes in my fence and I plug them when I find them with concrete because I don't want armadillos and these other critters running through the yard. I want them in your yard. So I want to block them. I want to block them and plug the holes. And I, what I've learned living in, in our home for 28 years yeah, 28 years, I've learned that it's constant. I can't just do it one time and it's done. So in your own life, occasionally you'll face something, you, uh, something got through, a coyote got through, uh, armadillo got through, got to my yard, got to me. I'll plug that hole. So when that happens, you plug that hole in you with the word of God. And you said, I'm not going to let that happen again. I can escape that trap, see? So co constantly look for those holes where the enemy's getting through to you. He just looks for a little foothold. And then third, are you spending significant time at the office or socially with somebody of the opposite sex other than your spouse? See, if you're a married man or a married woman, don't ever have a person of the opposite sex as your best friend, unless they're 85. And don't wrap God around your flesh by getting what, what's my prayer partner. Uh-huh. See, you're setting yourself for a fall. I've watched it happen in our church and others. If you need a best friend, guys, get a dog. Don't get another woman, not if you're married. You're not fooling anybody, and you're not even fooling yourself. You better stop it if you want to go the distance and finish strong. It happens in churches. It happens in business. It happens in sports. It happens everywhere. Number four, 
Every one of these leaders was absolutely certain it could never happen to them. And so you better understand it can happen to anybody. And that means it can happen to you. So put your eyes on the master. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.